Well, good morning. Yeah, there we go. Maybe my mic's not on. I don't know. Uh-oh. I think I got one of these faulty ones that's going to slide down on me. Well, we're in the book of Ephesians. Uh, we've been going over that for the past month or so or more. Um, and so, as you know, um, we've been talking about this book. has been written to a people um, that in a place that was very similar to the church um, where we are now, and lived very similar lived the church living in a city, in a region um, that's very similar to our context here. And one of the major themes that Paul writes about as he's writing um, to these people is the church, how it's established by God, by him calling his children to himself from every tribe and from every nation, making them one family. You see, the good news of the church is that the church is not a building. We put that on our stuff everywhere. But the truth is that the church is not a building. It's not a big event. That's not at all what the church is. That's not at all what this book is talking about. The church is a people who are no longer separated from each other and no longer separated from God. The church is a people that is no longer living in hostility, um, but now they're living in this, this glorious hope of being remade into the image of God with the purpose of displaying God's glory and God's grace to people everywhere, all throughout the city, all throughout the region, all throughout the world. And that's what Paul has been talking about so far in this book, and what he's been talking about and building on it. And this this section today where we get to Ephesians in chapter 3, Paul stops and he just, he prays. It says, if all the things that he's been saying up to this point about the church and about God's love for for his people is, is so amazing that Paul just has to stop. And he has to ask God to reveal these things to everyone through his spirit. It's, it's almost this idea where, where he's, he's like bubbling over. I can see Paul just kind of getting overexcited. And he's, he's like, this is so unfathomable. It's so much bigger than I can even write about or even explain or even think about. Let me just stop and pray and ask God to reveal these truths, these mysteries of the church to the people that I'm writing to and to you and to me. And so that's kind of where we're at in Ephesians chapter 3. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me, hopefully. Um, So Ephesians 3 says this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth's name is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than, we can, than all we can think or ask according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is Paul's prayer. This is his, like, he's bubbling over. He's like, I got to stop and I got to do this. I want to go back and read verse 10 just for context because I want to make sure that we don't miss this and we don't miss the point and the purpose of the church that Paul is so amazed by. He says this in, in verse 10. 
This is why this is where he gets to this. That through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Do you understand what this means? I want you to listen up and make sure that you get what this is saying. God is saying, God is telling us that the church, the church of Jesus, the redeemed, the company of the saints, the children of God are more significant in the world than any other group, any other organization, any other nation that ever has or ever will exist. The church is more important than any other institution in the entire world. The idea is that the United States compared to the church is like a drop of water compared to the ocean. All the plans and political forces and parties compared to the mission of the church is like a kindergartner trying to teach astrophysics. The most beautiful mountain, the most beautiful person pale in comparison to the beauty and splendor of the bride of Christ. Are you getting this? I hope you, you, I hope you understand this. In many ways, I was thinking this. I don't even know how to say this or express this properly. So that we'll even start to even get a little glimpse of how grand the mission of the church is and how significant the church is in all of the universe. That's what Paul's talking about here. The church, the, 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 church, the purpose of it is to make known the manifold wisdom of God throughout the universe. That is amazing. Somebody should say amen. That, 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 I don't even know how to say that. There aren't words strong enough. Our language and all the other languages that ever existed, there aren't enough words to do this amazing truth justice. And I think this is exactly why Paul, this amazing speaker, this amazing writer, apostle, stops himself and prays and asks God's help to comprehend the length and the breadth and the height and the depth of God's purpose to bring more glory to himself through the church. It's amazing. In Romans eight nineteen, it says this, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Why? In verse 21, it says, Because creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and to obtain the liberty of the glory of the children of God. You and I, those of us who have been called by God and adopted into his family, are now part of a society, part of an eternal cosmic church that will never end. A people that is now the apple of God's eye. A people that is completely loved without any duty to perform for him. And that is a reality. And yet I wonder how often do we miss that? How often do we just kind of go through life ho-hum on part of the church? On part of God's redemptive plan? Rather than inviting people in and talking about how amazing God is all the time. We're like, well, I better not let people know that I'm a Christian. They might label me. Or maybe they're going to make fun of it. Maybe I should probably build some more relationship with them so that when they find out that I'm a Christian, they won't just run away from me. What do we think? Maybe, you know what, the church really isn't that cool. 
It's not the coolest thing out there. I don't think they would be interested in hearing about Jesus. I don't think they would be interested in coming to a gathering to hear about God. And so I'm just going to hang out with them, and then hopefully one day I'm going to have a conversation. I think this becomes evident as well in how we prioritize our lives. Well, you know what? I'm going to get all these other things done first. Then maybe I'm going to pray. Maybe I'll read. Maybe I'll talk to God. If something else comes up on Sunday morning, maybe I'll do that instead because that seems a little bit more important. Or I'm going to just get up in your grill this morning because I'm just going hard. Um, I'm just going to consistently stroll in late to the gathering. If it starts without me, it's like, ah, you know what? If I, I didn't go to bed early enough, I'm too tired to get up. I'm just going to stroll in and sneak in and back. Rather, why, why, I'm going to run to be first to participate in what God is doing in the church. I'm going to be first to be here to sing and to tell of his amazing, that, how amazing God is. I want to be first to learn more about God's love. I want to learn more about God's purpose for us. I want to tell other people that we should be saying, I can't wait to get with God's people as often and as many times as possible throughout the week. I can't wait to to hear and to think about the other ways that we can actually display the manifold wisdom of God together. I can't wait to tell everyone of the redemptive story of God. You see, I think we miss this far more often than we get it. I know in my own life, I do for sure. I miss the amazing idea of the manifold wisdom of God revealing himself through God's people, through the church. And I sense for most followers of Jesus, we live our lives with far too little awareness of the reality around us. And we can easily go through the day after day and seldom feel the impact of actually belonging to Jesus' family. Jesus, the God-man, the ruler of the universe... That's the family that you and I belong to. I don't think we take enough time to actually meditate that and how that affects our jobs, how that affects our homes, how that affects our lives, how that affects how we play, how that fits into conversations, that that this is the cosmic significance of the church. And I think because of that, our lives often lack the flavor of eternity and the smell of something amazing, something ultimate. I want to remind us this morning that God's purpose for His church and for you and for me is to make the whole entire universe say, God is infinitely wise. I can't even get that word out. God is the only one to worship in the entire universe. I want to be clear, God is not a deity of one nation. He's not a deity of one tribe. He's not a deity of one world. His purpose is to encompass the entire universe with His glory. Not just your life or your city's life or this world. Verse 10 says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God may be made known to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. The idea is that the church is a display people, not just for this world, but for all the universe, revealing the wisdom of God to supernatural beings. 
You see, if you look at this term, um, rulers and authorities in heavenly places, it's found in, in two other places in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 11 and 12, it says this. Paul says this, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we are not contending against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and against powers and against the world and rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual host and wickedness in heavenly places. This same word here, we see the same words here, principalities and powers, refer to, to supernatural beings in, in Satan's host. They're not just mere flesh and blood. They're not mere humans. They're supernatural. And they are intent on man's destruction, which is why we need the armor of God. They're the rulers in the heavens. literally means the spheres among the, uh, above the earth. It's the same word used in Ephesians 1, verse 3, where Paul says, God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And it's used in 120, where God says He's raised us from the dead and made Him to sit at the right hand of the heavenly places. It's the place where God dwells. You see, by locating principalities in the heavens, God is simply saying to us that they're not earthly creatures. They come from afar, but they, 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 they inhabit another dimension, a dimension that's, that's similar to His and His holy angels. What we also know about these principalities and powers is that although they're, they're beings that live in heaven, they have a tremendous influence on earth. In Ephesians 2, it says this, the same pair of terms, principalities and powers, occurs in verse 2 of Ephesians 2. And it's translated, translated as the prince of power. It says this, And you were made alive when you were dead through trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in the work in the sons of disobedience. What he's saying here is that the principalities are, and powers are in league with Satan. They're in Satan's plan and they're at work in the sons of disobedience and they have a course for this world. It's a course that is well known that many people follow and they bring destruction into every institution, every invention, and every area of life. These are the principalities that Ephesians 3.10 is talking about when he says the church is to demonstrate the manifold wisdom of God to. It's not that they need to be informed about the purpose of God sending Jesus to die and rise from the dead so that we might be saved and so that we ultimately might be united with him as the church. They know that all too well. They know what God wants. That's why they can oppose him so effectively. But what the, what the church is to do is to demonstrate the wisdom of God's mysterious plan. The wisdom of the plan is actually seen in the fact that the plan actually works. You see, we show the wisdom of God by showing that the church, that God's plan, revealing himself to the world, is actually working. That the death of Jesus was not in vain. That he has actually reconciled us. That he's, that he's broken down the walls of hostility between Jews and Gentiles and every race in the world. That God has actually produced one body, one family, and he's given us this hope with, with his hope with immeasurable kindness forever and ever. We now get to show the, the manifold wisdom to the cosmic powers by living the way the church was actually designed to live. 
Basically, by being the church that Christ died to create as we image Him in His grace and in His love and in His his power, restoring every broken relationship around us. That's what we do. I think the opposite of this is also true. That when we fail to live in the hope, when we don't live in in peace and and our lives are not defined by this reality, we send a signal through the galaxies that God's purpose is failing, that He was not wise, that He's foolish. Now we know that that signal is not true. God has already won the battle. He's already proven to be the true, wise God. But we can live our lives and display to others that it's all a lie. Just the same way that we get to live our lives revealing that the manifold wisdom of God is true. You see, the call for us here is for the church to understand the reality and the purpose of your salvation. The reality of why God reached down and called you out of the slave market and brought you into his home, adopted as one of his family members, is to reveal the glory of God in heaven and on earth, to reveal God's wisdom to the entire universe. And by the way, this is how Jesus lived. You see, it didn't take long for people to be around Jesus and to realize that there was something peculiar, that there was something different about him. People often said, I've never heard anyone speak like this before. Every part of his life was part of a larger cosmic plan, and he knew it, and he lived in light of that plan. I think Paul really gets this as well. It's why he talks about his story here and what he was called to do, that he was called to preach to the Gentiles as part of, of God's greater redemptive plan. We see, we see this as like his, whole, his own little ministry as part of God's cosmic plan. And it filled him with seriousness and passion as he talks about it. We talk about this here often that that your story is not your story. It's actually part of God's story. That your story isn't running in a parallel track with God's story. Rather, your story is just one small piece of God's entire redemptive story. That it's way bigger than us. That the reality is that God is, is working to make himself known to us and through us. And I want to remind us that our lives are not our own. You and I have been called into a, to a, a cosmic theater, if you want to say, to display God here on earth and throughout the universe. Last Sunday, we were having dinner with um, some of our old neighbors and friends where we used to live over here, um, behind the ice skating rink, which is now the, what is that place, the Harbor Freight um, we were sitting on the back porch and, and we were talking and, and Jocelyn and Victoria were sitting in their hot tub and they're about 20 feet away and they start yelling and they're like, Dad, Dad, come here, come here. And I kind of just kind of turned my head because sometimes they get a little overexcited about things that really aren't that excited. Um, and so they're like, they're like, no, Dad, you've got to come right now. I'm like, okay. So I finally like get up out of my chair and, and I kind of walk over there. I'm like, what is it? Is there a spider? Is it an ant? They're always afraid of ants. And they're like, no, Dad, look up in the sky. And as we looked up in the sky, 
We saw the SpaceX launch, right? Some of you maybe were part of that. And we saw this, you can put a picture up, Ellie, if you want, yeah. There's, there's this amazing display in the dark sky. It had illuminated the clouds. And as, as I was like, oh, okay. And so I called the rest of the people to come over. And we, and we, we sat there and we, and we watched it for a little while. And we, sat, we saw the piece break off. And then it kind of readjust itself to correct its fall. And the other piece continued to climb into the stratosphere. And I don't know where it went from there, but maybe you can tell me. But, and the next day, there was, there was pictures of this all over people's social media feeds. Um, last time this happened, we actually saw it as well. We were out, and Ellie was like, Dad, you've got to come. Something is going on. I don't know what's happening. Like, somebody's shooting a rocket at us. And, like, there was something in the sky. We're going to die. And so... And we came out and we saw it the first time, like this a couple months ago. But it was this amazing display in the skies. It reflects off of the clouds. And, and, and people are talking about it. And, and people have posted so many things. And as I was thinking about this passage this week, I think that's just a little glimpse of the purpose and the mission of the church. To be the light of the universe. That we would be like that rocket. When people see us and see the church, they would stop and be amazed and they say, I've got to look at that. I've got to see what's going on. I want to post about that. I want to learn more about that. I want to stop and ask a question. What do you think would have to change in your life if this were true, if you actually truly walked in this reality? What would change? If you actually truly walked in the reality that we were a display people for the universe. What do you think would change in your life? Or in the life of the church? Because if we can't get this, then it's no point in me even talking. Right? Like, theology is no good without practical theology. It's just a bunch of head information. Our PR and our branding. Our PR and our branding. Sure. How? Well, you're sitting here talking about all the value of God, the value of Christ and the church. I don't think any believer would dispute that. So the question is, well, why is it the earth beating a path to our door then? And I think it's because we have a PR branding issue. Yeah. What we're displaying and what we're telling people the church is about is not the truth of the church. They're not seeing power. Yeah. They're not seeing humility. They're seeing hatred. They're seeing fear. I think the way we show them the world, they're, we're watching. They're paying attention. They're not dumb. They're just like, yeah, I don't get it. I don't see it. Yeah. Good. What else? about Stephen walking in power and in, in power and in faith and, I've, and that's been kind of my prayer lately kind of like that's what, I, that's what I want that's what Christ wants for us yeah we would think more about the opinion of God than the opinion of others yeah and that we would wisely and that we would graciously share his truth not not 
aggressively, but that we would be displaying that and talking about it all the time because it's the most important thing we have to talk about. Good. What else? What would change? Being capable of communicating the intent of our actions and the intent of our lives. And not just being, not just going around saying, oh, like, you know, this is a nice thing to do. I'm glad I can do it for you. Being like, oh, I'm doing this because we're I'm called to do this. And being able to explain that. Yeah. So it's give, be able to give an answer for the reason why we live this way. Yeah, good. Isn't just giving, giving God more credit for, for everything? Mm. The world likes to, to look at people and say, oh, you did a great thing, or, or that's because of you and your hard work or everything. And there's so many opportunities to give that back to the Lord and to say, no, it's, it's Him, it's His glory that's enabling that thing. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, not being annoyed by we have to be stopped for something, but actually like, no, this is actually my true purpose. Yeah, good. I think we would be a lot more grateful for what we have in our lives rather than discontented with what we haven't. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, we would be super thankful for the things God has actually provided for us and all of those things. Yeah, good. Yeah. I really believe, we really believe that we would spend a lot more time uh, praying and on our knees with each other, uh, with the rest of the church, and, and in our own sense, of connecting ourselves like, to and pursuing the, the one who has created this and done this. Um, and that's true for me. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think as I think about that, and I think as we share these things, it becomes very evident that we are in need to help, we need help to live out this reality. I think it's why Paul, what Paul gets to as well, and why he just stops and prays, and reminds us of who actually has the power to accomplish his mission for the church. See, this prayer that Paul prays here is, is one that's, that's very similar to the one that we saw in chapter 1, and it's a prayer, I would say, that we need to be praying for ourselves and for others. Take a look at this prayer in verse 16. It says, he says this, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being. And so Paul stops and he prays and he asks for strength. Not just like physical strength, but strength in the inner being. Strength in your soul. Strength really to believe the truths of God. Strength to believe that the, the truths of God so that your life would then reflect them. See, I think in light of verse 1 in chapter 3, what Paul's talking about here as well is, is strength in the midst of suffering. Strength in the midst of suffering because the reality is that on this, this current life on earth, as the family of God, you and I will experience suffering. Suffering that is caused by others, Suffering that's caused by the effects of sin on the earth. And suffering caused by by our own poor choices. Suffering is an inevitable reality in some capacity. Remember, Paul is writing this letter from prison. In verse 13 he says, Do not lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. 
Basically, Paul sees his suffering as a means of gathering the nations to see the glory of Jesus' manifold wisdom by displaying the wisdom of the cross. In other words, Paul is, is willing to go to prison for the, for the sake of Jesus if his suffering will show the world that Jesus is more precious than our freedom, our comfort, our security, our prosperity, whatever it is. The truth is that, that really no one chooses prison. Paul wasn't like, yeah, go sign me up for that. No one, no one turns from prosperity. No, no one sees the breadth and the length and the depth and the height of Christ's surpassing knowledge. No one is filled with the fullness of God. No one says, I'll count everything for the sake of Christ without supernatural, omnipotent power intervening in your heart and in my heart. And it's why Paul prays for this strength so that as we suffer, we can find the truth and actually reveal that the suffering is not the end for us. That we still find hope in God in the midst of suffering. And it reveals to us and to all who are watching that God's plan is actually at work. He goes on in verse 17, he says this, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be fooled, filled with the fullness of God. This idea here of, of dwelling in your heart is really a prayer for the fellowship of God, fellowship with God. It's the idea for, for God to take up residence in your heart. This idea to, for Him to, to settle down, to feel at home. To, to come inside, to kick off his shoes, to sit on the couch, to sink in there, and to have deep, meaningful conversations with your soul. It's a prayer for, for deep, soul-level relationship with God that would then lead to an understanding of the love that you've been grounded in. This word grounded here or established is a past tense word, and it means something in the past that has present consequences. Consequences. It's a prayer for faith to believe the truth of our, that, our, that our relationship with God was established in His love before the beginning of time. And that that love led Jesus to the cross. That while you and I were yet sinners, enemies of God, God sent Himself to die and to rise again, defeating death so that for all time, so that the church, God's people, might now display the manifold wisdom of God's plan in action. It's a prayer that we would start to actually comprehend the reality of Jesus' love and Jesus' sacrifice for His ultimate glory in all of the universe. That as Jesus really settles down in the souls of our hearts, in our souls, that we would truly know Him. That we would truly know Him, not just some information in our head, but in our innermost being, we would begin to know the love that surpasses all knowledge and all wisdom. Can I say, we really need that in our lives. I know that I do. Because it's the reality is it's the only way that we can actually have peace and live in, as the church in a world full of suffering. And the good news is that, that this is not just a prayer that we pray hoping that something will happen. 
But as we pray, we actually pray to a living Savior. We serve a living Savior who has the power to answer, but not only has the power to answer, but actually desires to accomplish this in your heart and my heart. You see, the mission of God in the church is not just some outward thing. It's an internal, it's an internal movement that then affects everyone's outward life. God is after your heart. He's after your soul. You are his mission. He's after writing his wisdom on your soul. It's a, it's a love song that he wants to write on your heart so that you would then live out that love song in the broken realities of this world and you would display that wisdom to all who see it. What God loves to do, we see this over and over in Scripture, is take foolish, broken down things of the world and restore them and make them into beautiful pictures for his purpose. And that's what he wants to do with every area of your life. As he takes up residence, as he sits on the couch and dwells within you and settles down in your soul so that we would taste and see and know that he is good. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what he's praying for here. And then Paul closes this prayer with a doxology or a benediction. And I think as, as he does this, it's just another reminder to our hearts that God has the power to do it. And he's the one that's at work. Verse 20, it says this. And now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Verse 20 is just another reminder that God's wisdom and power far surpasses our minds. It's far more than we can even think or imagine. And it's a call here for him to do something miraculous. And please realize that miraculous is not just some crazy thing like calming the seas or healing the sick or or turning water into wine. I want to say a miraculous thing really ties into what you you shared earlier, that any time you and I actually love and care for someone else, that is a miraculous work. Any time your kids obey, that's a miraculous work. Anytime you're patient with your children, that's a miraculous work. Anytime you exercise some type of self-control in your life, that's a miraculous work. Anytime as a husband or as a wife, you live in a caring relationship, that's a miraculous work of God. Anytime you live in relationship with anyone else that is loving and caring, that is a miraculous work of God. Anytime you speak the gospel truth to someone else, that is a miraculous work of God. Anytime you're reminded about the truths of God in your heart and you actually live in light of that, that is a miraculous work of God. Do you get what I'm, where I'm going here? I, I can keep going on all day, but please remember, there is nothing good inside of you or me except that what Jesus did to change. If there is any fruit in your life, is there any fruit of the Spirit in your life? That is a miraculous work of God. It's a miraculous work of God to bring what was dead to life. And it's why we shout, and we should be shouting, to Him be the glory. To Him be the glory in the church. 
To Him be the glory for all generations, forever and ever. To Him be the glory. He is the one that is at work, not us. He is the one at work in the church displaying His manifold wisdom to the universe. The church is, is really it's just a theater where the principalities and the powers of this universe walk in and they sit down and they get their Cokes and their popcorn and they watch the glory of God's manifold wisdom on display and Jesus is the main character on the screen working through his church. As a church, what, what we've been now been given, we were made really to have a hero to brag about. And that hero is Jesus. And that's what we do as His people. We constantly brag about and talk about who God is and what He's done for us. We display the manifold wisdom of how He's changed us and how He restores. And now that 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 we get to display this mystery that every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people will now be included in the promises of God to his people that God made back at the very beginning of time to Israel, that now because of Jesus, God will bring them to life, that he will forgive sins, that he will declare righteousness in his sight, that he will give people his spirit, that he will make people holy, that he will raise them from the dead, that he will reign over you and I in righteousness that He will banish all evil and all suffering from the world and He will make us live with everlasting joy in the new heaven and the new earth. Is that good news? It's crazy. This is what He does through the good news of the gospel. This is what Ephesians 2.16 says when He's reconciled us to Christ by His cross. The crucifixion is, is not the world's wisdom. It's not the world's power. It's foolishness and weakness to the world. But it's God's power and it's God's wisdom. And when Jesus dies on the cross to create the church out of all the nations of the world, the manifold of the wisdom of God now shines most brightly through the crucified Messiah. Jesus Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. But here's the amazing thing. The rulers and the authorities don't just see the wisdom of God at the cross. They see what it actually created, namely the church, a people from every tribe and from every nation. John Piper says it this way, the reason God created the world and called the church into being is so that he would have sufficiently diversified yet unified system of mirrors in which to reflect the glory of his many-sided wisdom to the universe. That's why God created the church. That's why God called you and me into his family so that he could display more and more and more of himself as you and I are in relationship with one another and as we're reflecting more and more of his goodness and grace to us. That's our call as his church in this time and in this place to be a corporate and visible and audible doxology to God, shouting to all areas of life that God has placed you in, to God be the glory. To God be the glory in the entire universe. That we would be shooting across the sky and people would say, wow, God is really wise. 
God is infinitely wise. He makes the foolish things of the world wise. He takes the broken things of the world and brings them to life. He takes the most broken down things and makes them beautiful pictures of his love. That's what you and I get to now display. That is why God's called us as a church and why we get to now live in relationship with one another. It's why we talk about it's so important that not to just show up on a Sunday morning and think that you've done your church for the week, but that as we do this throughout the week in smaller communities, displaying and reminding each other the truths of God over and over and again, and we display that to a people and place that, that God has put us on mission to, we get to be his, his theater for not just the people in this city, but for every prince and polity and every realm of the world that we cannot even see, get to see God's wisdom displayed. It's why it's so important that we understand that the church is not a building or a place, that it's a people, a people that God has rescued and called to himself. Father, we thank you that you loved us so much that you called us into your family. Father, we thank you that, that we get to now display your manifold wisdom to the world, to the entire universe. Father, what an amazing thought that is that we can't even comprehend in some small way. Father, I pray as, as we read here that you would settle down in our hearts and in our souls. That you would take up residency in every area of our lives and that our life would reflect the true grace and love and power that you have given to us through Jesus. Father, we ask that your spirit would move in us in such a great way that this city, that the people that we work with, that the people that we live among would get to see your power, your wisdom displayed. Father, we thank you that we get to do this and that is not dependent on us, but that your spirit is the one that is in work doing it through us. So Father, we ask that you would do that even more through your spirit. We ask that you would pour out your spirit on us and that you would, you would display your glory even more in us. And if that means us suffering more, let's have that. Father, if that, whatever that means, Father, we ask that you would do that in our lives so that you would receive more glory and honor that you are due. Father, we thank you that we get to sing about those things. We get to talk about those things this morning. Pray that we would continue to do that throughout the week as we continue to meet with one another. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.